Welcome to another episode of Nerds Amalgamated. I'm the professor and my co-host is the DJ. How are you going, DJ? Oh, I'm going well. I'm going well. Such a gr- it's such a great time to see all to see things go pear-shaped. What's going pear-shaped? Everything is fine. <laughs> really? Except for in Victoria. I I I I mean, we're seeing the last of us too coming out and it's <laughs> it's going all pear-shaped at the moment. Oh dear, people are still freaking out about that. Oh, the, the movie's cut. The, the, oh, not the movie, I meant the game has come out. And my God, people are just gone mad about it. I mean, it's it's all cut. There's all kinds of wrong in this get in, in this game. Really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, like the the story is just it, it. The story is it's no. It's now gone from a apocalypse survival horror game to a petty revenge story. Okay, but okay, now, but, the thing is though, I'm choosing to imagine petty revenge as in when someone makes someone's coffee with too much sugar because they were rude to them in the uh, checkout line. Uh, I was. It's more of the. No, uh, don't he, spoil it. I'm sure a lot of people want to know what's going on yeah. for themselves. <laughs> so don't spoil it this week. Uh, I'm not going to spoil much, but yeah, it's just it. And the ending, the ending itself. It, it when you watch the ending, you would just go, "What the hell?" <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> it's gone pear shaped, and people. And the funny thing is, when you look at social media after this. Some people are comparing the that game to Schindler's List. Okay, then. That's an interesting <laughs> comparison. I'd like to imagine the games aren't as depressing as Schindler's List, but maybe they are. Oh. Anyway, um, I found out today that the Victorians are going to have to go back into lockdown. <laughs> oh. Yes, oh, I feel no. sorry for you guys. <laughs> they, um, they've, had, they've had to reverse one of the levels of... Uh, reopening that they were going through because they're having a huge breakout in Victoria at the moment. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm just imagining that, um, you know, that GI Joe PSA video where he's like, give him the stick. Don't give him the stick. (laughs) But it's that with Dan Andrews saying, get on the beers. Don't get on the beers. (laughs) Oh, like, yeah, I heard like 21 cases have come up now. So, oh man. It's, it's see here's the funny thing here's the funny thing you've literally put people under house arrest that's the sad part about this lockdown hey it's not arrest <laughs> it's only arrest if you want to leave but, why would I want to leave I've got everything I could ever want at home <laughs> oh unless if you want to go for toilet paper and all you can still go there and get toilet paper you just can't be a dipshit and go and infect half a dozen other people. I would say though, people are blaming the protests and whatnot for um, for the reason. Nah, like the protests aren't going to help, but the actual press statements from the government aren't about the protests. They're about people being at home and inviting their friends over. Yeah, yeah. Although I feel sorry for the business people though. Um, how much how much more financial pain they have to endure because of this? Yeah, that sucks. But you know, if we locked if if they lock down and get it dealt with again quickly, they can reopen quicker. Yeah. Like the fastest way to get everything back to normal is to actually just deal with it. But um we should move on to some happier topics. This week we're talking about a comic featuring real life scientists. So DJ, what can you tell us about it? So from what I've gathered is three sci- three um scientists have decided to um start up a comic book um, company called JKX Comics, and they're going to use it to re- explain research or engage students in the nuances of science. So they, so basically, they've decided to use the easy to digest cartoon format and light humor to boost science literacy. Okay, so what's the uh, the first comic about? So the first comic is EBV and the Replication Dance. It describes how the common Epstein-Barr virus replicates by telling a story about the virus going clubbing with friends inside a human cell. (laughs) Apart from being the most um, 
unfortunately named virus there is. <laughs> Epstein being uh, Jeffrey Epstein, the uh, the guy like sex trafficker. Yep. <laughs> and Barr being Trump's attorney general. <laughs> it this actually sounds. Yeah, to be fair, the Epstein Barr virus has been around a lot longer than that Sweena thing. Yep. But um, this sounds like a really cool way to teach people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So for those who do not know what the Epstein Barr virus is, it's a human, uh, it's part of the herpes family, it's the most common virus in humans. It's best known as a cause of infection, glandular fever. It is a is associated with various non-malignant, pre-malignant, and malignant Epstein virus associated lympho lymphoproliferative diseases. A lot of big words there. Yep. <laughs> so basically, it's a book about how to not get herpes. Yeah, very much. <laughs> So they're saying here, um, you have the visual components to help convey complex systems, and then you also have the story element, says one of the authors, Cal Tran, now an epigeneticist at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, having comics as a way of opening that door into what science is could ho- hopefully inspire the next generation to pursue STEM. I mean, I, I like their sentiment where they're going for, though. Yeah, I mean, you, we've we've um we've seen a couple of other um couple of other medical um shows taking that same route. I remember the old French co- um not comic that had the blood ce- blood cells and how they worked. Oh yes, I'm yeah, I remember reading that one. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> yeah, and um yeah, the the graphics in that one were sort of similar to uh, Asterix. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was it maybe by the same author? Yeah, what is it called? Once is is it Once Upon a Time? Yeah, Once Upon a Time um uh, Once Upon a Time Life. Once Upon a Time a Life. That that was the comic it was called. Okay. Sick. And you were telling me the other day about uh cells at work. Yeah, so other so not only um t- fr- the French have adopted this, there is also um J- Japan has adopted this in a very cute, interesting anime series called Cells at Work. It's a very, very nice series to watch, and it talks about how the human body works inside a cell in a form of anime people. <laughs> so let me put that up as well. So in the with the cells at work is basically you take inside the takes inside the human body where trillions of anthropomorphic cells each do their job to keep the body healthy. It focuses largely on two such cells, the rookie blood cell and the white blood cell. And uh, they've recently announced that um, there'll be a spin-off called Cells at Work Black, which is basically what what the human body would be like um, inside a person who's um, not exercising or not healthy at all. Basically. Hence, it's always code black. Yeah, so- yeah, this isn't the only um, educational comic out out there either. There's a few others. I can't think of them off the top of my head. Do you know any others, CJ? Um, oh, Magic School Bus. I remember they used to. They did an episode once about how um how the human body works when there's an infection. Oh, sorts. they've done a couple of uh, inside the human body episodes. Yeah, and second, I yeah. What was my my favorite? Ep- the one episode I can remember was they had to go into one of the classmates' body and they had to look. They they looked at how the body would react when they ha- when the person had a cold or a flu. Okay, that was always Arnold. Like any time <laughs> they did an inside the human body episode, it was Arnold. Ah. <laughs> Yeah, um, that guy, um, not good at health. Actually, <laughs> no, I'm lying. There is one episode where they go inside Ralphie. Yeah, that's. I think that's the one, yeah, inside Ralphie. Yeah, Ralphie's the one when he has a cold. Yep. But they also do inside Arnold when he eats too many carrots and becomes orange. <laughs> and another inside Arnold, which was about the digestive system. Arnold's the redhead, right? Ginger. Ah, uh, yep, yep, yeah. But I think it's... I mean, this, it's a nice concept. It's a nice concept, but uh, I mean, they have to deal with like the competition in terms of there are a lot, um, a lot of a lot of comics have done the same sort of idea before. So they have, but this one isn't just doing uh, inside the human body. So they've got eleven comics online for free. Which, um, if you're a teacher, you can go and download these, and I presume show them to your class. But they want to show that scientists aren't just Einstein head antisocial freaks. 
Yeah. They're real people. But their latest comic, uh, Gilbert's Glitch Switch. Yeah, a bit of a tongue twister. <laughs> has so a virus sucked into a video game where he has, to, has amino acid combinations to get proteins to communicate effectively. Can you ma- imagine um, Imagine that selling well? I reckon it will sell well, though. Yeah, they're working on getting them published in a paper form. Yeah, all the uh, paper. I, I mean, it will work even better if it's done online. Though. I mean, who 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 buys paper nowadays? Yeah, everything's electronic. <laughs> everything's like, electronic. Not often, but I've got plenty of paper books. I've got so many paper books, I don't actually have enough shelf space for them. So um, they're saying here, this comics are geared towards middle age stu- uh, middle school students. Um, <laughs> middle age students. <laughs> it's like, uh, yes, it's for the. A few percent of university students who come back after their 20s. <laughs> uh, so the team hopes people of all ages can enjoy them and learn something. And um, the three of them are now creating a Kickstarter campaign to raise funding to print these comics for the Madison's Readings, Reading Projects distribution to underserved, um, underserved children in the region. And they're also working on a new comic about women in STEM fields and other... Another on investigating diseased organs, an homage to CSI. Oh, no. Does that mean we get to get get uh, Gil Grissom look like guy, do the whole sunglasses thing in every issue? I mean, issue? I'd rather have an NCIS comic that teaches computer security because that show is awful about it. <laughs> oh, I thought CSI was all, more awful when it comes to computer security. Well, NCIS is the one where they had two people typing on the same keyboard to beat a hacker, and then their <laughs> boss comes over and unplugs the monitor, and it's like, look, I beat them. <laughs> oh. And I like how in the, in the last few lines is basically saying there's a lot of misinformation in our communities uh, and it scares people away from science. If we could limit some of these misunderstandings when they're kids or when their parents are reading with them, I think they would um, that would be really po- be a really positive impact. I mean, I agree with them. Like the internet nowadays, it's like the home of misinformation. Like, yeah. You get you get like two sides of the story, and you don't know which one to go. And you always get like the media always plays this um, narrative that oh, they must always listen to us. The audience are not capable of objective thinking. Well, that's how they make their money. The media makes money by getting dumb people to listen to them and just take everything at face value. Because yeah. the the newspaper doesn't make money if you read the article, think critically about it, and then decide hang on, this is horribly biased. I'm not going to read it anymore. They make money by trapping you into an echo chamber where everything supports your views because then you're going to keep buying it. Yeah, That's the um, really unfortunate bit about journalist, like journalism because when it's done for money like that, you just end up picking a, a side and sticking to it so you can have consistent advertising and consistent viewership. Yeah. See, I like. I would I love. I don't to know see- how to fix it, but yeah, you know, no, I- teaching people to think critically has got to help. Yeah, it's got to help, and I think the internet has played well and hasn't played well in terms of critical thinking. That's the problem, and I think these comics are good in terms of they they um they help the help the person think critically, and I think the comics are are a useful tool in terms of okay, that's how um these comics can teach them how to um identifies the situations, look at the causes there. And I also think about there are two sides to different stories or well, actually not say two sides. There are multiple sides to a story. So yeah. Yeah. Though I get the feeling this is more about things that are known to be fact. Yeah. Yeah. And the, one of the creators was also saying that it's not always easy to um, translate a complex science topic to a comic as well. And they have to try and balance accuracy in an engaging story. Yeah. Well, it's how do you figure out how to, um, well, you know, how do you teach people and get in-depth enough without going so in-depth that you lose them? Yeah. It's the age-old question for teaching people. I think it come, I, I think it would come down to the narrative. Okay? Yeah, I think uh, the advantage of doing it this way is you can suck people in with the, the story. Yeah, it comes down to the narrative. I mean, if the, if the narrative is perfectly written, then you've got you you've hit the jackpot, Eric. I think we're starting to. I think we're we're getting to a deep conversation about this now. We are, <laughs> and I I don't want to cut it off, 
<laughs> I know. I because, know. you know, it's actually a genuinely deep conversation, which we don't do a whole lot. Yeah. But speaking of education, <laughs> a, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration in the USA, has uh, greenlit a video game for kids with ADHD. Wait, how does the FDA come into this, though? Well, the FDA is responsible for uh, for basically any kind of treatment. So you go to the FDA for food, drugs, like an MRI would come under the FDA, even though it's not food or a drug. Okay. Yeah. So these um, the developer uh, Achille Interactive Labs has made a game called Endeavor RX. And Endeavor RX is designed for children 8 to 12 with ADHD and issues with attention. And the design of the game is supposed to help sort of train their attention, which is really interesting because we've heard for years that people who spend a lot of time on video games or social media have lower attention spans or, uh, or say, less... um, I'm just trying to think of the word there. You know, less ability to delay gratification. Oh, okay. So I think it's really interesting that this is sort of the opposite of that. Yeah. See, here's the thing with here's the thing with this with this landmark decision for me. I mean, it's good to see games like these coming into the market, and at least it will be it will take out the narrative that people always long held that oh, video games are bad, video games are evil, uh, like. Like we always hear the the same old arguments about how the video games are dangerous to people. Like this game, this decision, I hope it's a stepping stone. Yeah, although I think that view is only going to die out when the people that hold it do. Yeah, but um, this is a a big thing for the sort of the educational games industry because it means that not only can you make a game that's supposed to teach people, you can make a game that's supposed to help with uh therapy like so this is the first game to be marketed as a therapy for any type of condition but i imagine you could apply this to say depression anxiety um add uh maybe a game could be made to teach social social skills to autistic people yeah yeah i'm seeing here it says um uh, achille um, sees the video game as a delivery system for targeted algorithms that can help activate and strengthen certain neural networks in the brain. Uh, it's more ambitious than many um, digital health apps and software programs that help that aim to help patients manage medical conditions such with education tips and reminders. I mean, that's going to be interesting as well. Like uh, this against the digital health apps that we we see around the internet. Like some do its job. Ninety some... percent of them are bullshit. Really? It wouldn't surprise me. Okay, I'm pulling that statistic out of my head, but it wouldn't surprise me if ninety percent of um, health and mental health apps you see are just completely useless. Because the big thing about this is that Endeavor RX has been tested. Mm-hmm. So you might have an app that guides you through a, um, say, CBT or another uh, program that for your condition, but this is the first game that is completely new tech. I do have a question for you, though. Where do the, where do the digital health apps fail where this one succeeded, in your opinion? Well, most of them aren't going to be made by actual... Um, neuroscientists and psychologists and by having a uh by having fda clearance it can actually be prescribed to people who are need the therapy so the other apps are designed to get your attention they for the advertising money they're not for um they're not for the for people to come and make a make an actual difference with their life because they're to support a company but this one's got backing from people who really know what they're talking about yeah and they and they might be fa- and I reckon they prote- they're potentially facing very stiff competition as well. Like even though they have backing from well known neuroscientists and stuff, the digital market it's insane. It is. I mean, like one minute you can have like a Candy Crush um, game, and if it hasn't been developed or anything uh, to up 
like patches or any new new stuff added, it can go down the drain easily. Well, again, I think this is um since it's got the backing of the FDA, it's not going to sort of fade away. Oh yeah, it won't fade away, but yeah. it, it will it, it won't fade away completely. But it would it will be there, but it's just like it's it won't be as eye catching, you know. Like like I said, the digital market is insane. <laughs> yeah, but it's got people being drawn to it by their doctor. Yeah. I agree with so you. So it doesn't have to rely on advertising to get users. The doctor will say, go and check out this app. It's FDA approved. It's been tested. Yeah. And uh, from what I'm seeing here, it's that uh, despite getting clearance, the game's been available for the past few months under unu- under an unusual early rollout prompted by the epidemic. Uh, for- yeah, basically, the FDA decided uh, to pre-release apps like this because they're considered low-risk the chances of something going wrong are low, so you don't have to worry about what will happen if, say, you um, you use that for treatment while yeah. you can't get to your regular therapy. Yeah. It's not going to cause you to go backwards at all. Yeah. And that's the other interesting thing. Even though the FDA has approved this treatment, you know how tr- – we and as you said, they, they um, approve treatments and stuff. Treatments cost money, and they really eat up a lot of money. When, like you must, They can. They can, yeah. But if this does cost anything, um, having it FDA, FDA approved means that your insurance can cover it. Yeah. What do they say here, though? Um, I just saw a sentence here saying, they set up a website to make its game available f- for free for eligible children. There you go. So it's free. Like I think that's also a benefit as well in t- with Akil. Uh, it's Achille? Yeah, Achille. Yeah, Achille Interactive. Yeah, that's, that's also a benefit for Achille Interactive. If you make something free... For um parent, for children who suffer from ADHD and stuff, that's a blessing. That could that can win you fans a lot more. Yeah, I think one of the things that keeps people away from treatment is the cost. And the, and sometimes the, it's it's not only like they 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 stop the treatment completely. They would always go for a substitute, like a low cost something which is cheaper as well. But they w- it wouldn't work well. But then it's a fifty fifty chance kind. Yeah. Some people will get absolutely desperate and do things that end up being detrimental because they just can't get treatment. Like you hear about people self-medicating with alcohol or other drugs, being having access to FDA-approved treatment for a reasonable cost means that they're getting a a product of known quality. There's no risk that someone's going to be playing this game and accidentally shoot up fentanyl instead of heroin. Yeah. You can't overdose on a game, uh, but someone I'm on ADHD not, might use um, Ritalin, which I think is in the amphetamine class. So yeah. you wouldn't um, ever want to use, say, well, you know, you you wouldn't want to use a self-administered uh, dosage of an amphetamine to treat your ADHD. By the way, you were saying uh, someone can cannot get overdosed in a game unless if they're playing Fortnite. <laughs> Uh, I feel like Fortnite is even more boomer bait. <laughs> but like, um, I see a lot of boomers complaining about Fortnite. I don't see them complaining about this sort of game. I do have a question for you. So from a game developer's perspective, seeing this kind of thing in America, could you actually see this happening in Australia? Yes, because for the most part, we follow the FDA's lead. So if we... Um, if the FDA says it's good, there's a bigger chance that the Australian um, medical system will start to use it. Hmm. What are the chance? So you reckon there'll be a high chance in Australia for this uh, for games like these to come out in Australia? Yeah, yeah I would not be surprised to see this um, being used in Australia in the next year or so. And it's also, um, hey, government, if you're listening, it would be a great way to boost the games industry, uh, put development into into like mental health apps through the Australian industry. There is one that's close. Th- there is one that's closest to it. It's called the Tail T uh, Atali. So Tali Health, it's basically creates ge- um, game based programs to improve attention in kids. Uh, Tally Train is clinically proven to boost attention in um, children ages three to f- three to eight years old in just five weeks. 
That's put, impressive. I'll uh, post up the link on uh, all these links will be put, put up in the show notes, by the way. So yeah, I wonder if that's backed up by studies or not. Uh, they have NDIS uh, approval as well. So oh, that's good. NDIS approval is a you know good sign. Yeah. So what includes in the Tali packages? Uh, you get an on-site Tali team member, ongoing support, a Tali team. Det- Tali Detect Aid Assessment, Unique Tali um, Attention Profile and Attention Report, and you get a lot more. You get a lot of things basically in the in the Tali packages, like Account Manager Support Assessments, uh, Unique Profile, Pre-Training Attention Reports, uh, Post Training, and Program Completion Certificate. Well, that's great to hear. But um, we should move on to our next topic, which is the Critical Role Hardcover. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> so what's the deal here, DJ? So fans of the series, um, have uh, of the series, which include characters such as Keyleth, Vex, Pike, Grog, and the rest of the Vox Machina, the crew that launched the successful Critical Role property, um, have now pl- have now joined with Dark Horse Comics to help everyone get up to speed with every critter prehistory with this fall's release of Critical Role Vox Machina Origins Library Edition Volume One. And Volume One, you know, it's. Really- 120 pages so that tells you something about the uh how big this is gonna be yeah. you gotta need to build a new bookshelf <laughs> so yeah it basically tells the backstories of each of these members uh so the characters in the first campaign of the podcast before the adventure uh before the adventure fans are really familiar with including the first time they came together and the stories that made them into the beloved heroes they are now and so the two, the new oversized edition collects the first two Critical Roles Vox Machina Origin miniseries in their entirety, written by Matt Mercer, Matthew Koval, and Jody Hauser, and artists by Olivia Sampson and colorists Chris Northup and MSASSYK. Yeah, are you supposed to pronounce that like Sasic? I think so. Or is uh, it looks just like an, an acronym? Ac- I think it's just an acronym, but. Wait, it's a, an initialism because an acronym has to be pronounceable, I think. So, like, NASA is an acronym, but CIA is an initialism. Yeah. Second, Masasic. Oh, it's but the. Okay, I've got his Twitter handle. It's Michelle Asar Asara. Rasaha Korn. Okay. <laughs> it's such a long name, but dang. Yep, I'm enjoy pronouncing ar- that. Oh, yeah. I'm seeing her artwork now and it looks really impressive. Wow. <laughs> really good artwork. But yeah, I, I mean, you, you've heard of Critical Role, haven't you? Yes, I have. I've listened to quite a bit of it. What, what, what Are they any good to, to have a listen to? Um, yeah, I used to listen to them while I had a, a programming job. Nice. Which is um, more difficult now. I'm working help desk and I have to actually talk to people. <laughs> oh, come on. It, it cannot be that bad. It cannot be that bad. No, it's not bad having to uh, talk to people so much. Um, what is bad is when you're trying to work on something and having your attention distracted every five minutes by a phone call. Fair enough. Like, yes, I know the email server's down. I'm working on it. <laughs> So for those so for those who are curious, uh, Critical Role is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. It's led by Matt Mercer, uh, who's the dungeon master in this um, in, in this series. And the brand has grown to encompass multiple projects across different media,s including animation, live performances, and comic books. With more than half a million viewers tuning into the core series each week. And for those who are not who are curious, who are, who Matt Mercer is, he is the voice of Levi from Attack on Titan. Uh, McCree in Overwatch, uh, McCready in Fallout 4, and um, Midas and Sid in Fortnite. Oh, and and in- all of the characters in uh, Critical Role are played by voice actors. Yeah. Oh, and so I also put- oh, You oh, get sorry. some really good quality work there. Yeah. Oh, and I also forgot Matt Mercer's Leon from Resident Evil. Oh, the remaster or the original? I think on th- all of them. I suppose. I've yeah. only played uh, Claire's Path in the remaster, so... Uh, he's they, in um, Resident. He's in Resident Evil Six, Damnation, and Vendetta, and I think someone else is doing the Resident Evil Two remake. But yeah, but um, what do you reckon though? Like, you reckon it's a good idea just to have a a law book? Yeah, this is uh great. It's a bit of extra content for fans. Um, you know, it's why not just go and expand the whole um whole universe more? People want more, so do it. You sound like David Cage just then. Give me more. 
But um, I personally, I reckon it's a good idea to have a law book, like for those people who want to start in. But then it just defeats the purpose, though. Like, why not just go to Wikipedia? Like, there is always a wiki about critical role, isn't there? Okay, why would you ever experience any work of art ever instead of going and reading the Wikipedia page about it? I mean, why like- would you watch anime? Don't even bother with the anime. Just go to Wikipedia. <laughs> If would I you wanna, do that? Um, why would I? Because I would go to the I would go to the wiki. Like if you want, if I want to catch up on the series, like if I miss out, I would just watch the anime, like just to see if they follow the manga to its to 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 actual. To well, this is new content. Or mm. well, not really new content. It's been out for a couple of years. This is a compilation, but it's also a um. So it's a compilation of. Uh, stories from a couple of years ago, but it's not content that's in the podcast. It's origin stories. So basically, it's like um, behind the scenes, more behind the scenes stuff, more than yeah. Okay, then yeah, okay, yeah, I can, I can see that, yeah. Like, and if it was about the podcast, well, this is going to be a much quicker and simpler way to get through, you know, forty hours of content than listening to a year's worth of podcasts. Well, there is always YouTube, and many YouTubers will write, like, will, will make videos saying, like, okay, um, follow this character's journey, and they'll make, like... Yeah, but this is the official thing. Ah, uh, okay, So yeah. you know it's going to be quality. Yeah, yeah. My only hope is, when it comes to law books like these, is that they don't... Um, they don't add in new stuff like in like there's a law book I've, I've been looking at, which is uh, a Rusity property called the Ruby Companion book. And in the Ruby Companion book, they basically explained a lot of things that should have been in the series or <laughs> in animated, yeah. which, which they put into the thing. And you're like, what? I didn't see this. <laughs> well, I- uh, Critical Role is pretty good at being standalone. So I don't think that's something you need to worry about there. Yeah. yeah. Would you buy it, though? Yeah. Let's I mean, see. like I said earlier, I'm going to need to build a bigger bookshelf. <laughs> but um, I would be definitely interested in this. I want to see how much is the price for one of them. Uh, Amazon. There we go. Okay, so for a hardcover, it is... This is off the Amazon America. $29.47 American. Not too bad, then. This is... Actually, wait. This is for... Yeah, series one and two. So for for series one and That's two. That's volume one though, isn't it? No, um, series one and two. I think it's both. Um, I think it's volume one and two, but then they've worded their series one as in volume one and volume two differently. Okay. A second, I'll put it up there. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, yeah, I might take a look at that later. Yeah. But yeah, I'll be, I'm, I might actually have a look into the Critical Role um, Origins, uh, Critical Role um, podcast itself because I've started playing a bit of D&D lately and I really want to know how to play it to, to, a, to acceptable standards. Yeah, fair enough. Well, there is a lot of content there, so you know, be prepared. <laughs> uh, well, goodbye Netflix binging. Hello, YouTube binging. <laughs> yep. So, uh, what have you been playing this week, DJ? I've been playing Valorant, a game by Riot Games. And I will say this, it is a very, very interesting game. So, it's basically, um, from what I've seen, it's basically CSGO with heroes, isn't it? Uh, It's CSGO with Overwatch. So you com- okay? So combine the CS:GO elements in terms of buying a weapon at the startup and having a bomb. With every character has has their own abilities and spe- and ultimates. So what do you think? Is it um worth playing? It's an, it, it's uh, I I don't know. I mean CS:GO has that fun moment. Like you can knife someone, you can have fun. Valorant is just I don't know. It's just a poor copy. I. Like um, you can buy weapons and you can knife people and stuff, but it's just eh. 
it doesn't have that CSGO funny, like you can, ha- you can have a lot of fun with CSGO and stuff. Valorant is just, yeah, okay, you, you in- include Overwatch abilities. It's like cut and paste, basically. Like some of the, like one character, for example, uh, Phoenix, he's basically, um, his ultimate is basically, I can clone myself and use my clone to send himself, send them to, to, send them to fight my battles for a limited time only. And you got another person's ability that has the um, orbital, orbital strikes. So will you go back to it? I would go back to it. Yeah. Oh, and the other other thing about this game is the microtransactions. Boy, there are a lot of microtransactions. Are they cosmetic only? Yeah, they're cosmetic only for the weapons and yeah, just for the weapons. Like you can like um you you can have your different gun designs. You can also have different um, chains attached to your gun. But they haven't gone to the part where oh you have to spend five thousand credits to get this kind of to buy this character and stuff. So yeah, they haven't gone to that level yet. All right. So how many points do you give it? Uh, I would give it uh, three out of five for mine. Okay, I've been playing Skyrogue, which is a roguelite uh, flight simulator. It's basically a, a big dogfighting game where you <laughs> you have a mission like shoot down a transport plane or a, destroy a building. And you can kit out your your aircraft and then go and fly and do the mission. It's very arcadey, but I'm having a lot of fun with it. Oh yeah, the the dog fights look really cool though. Yeah, it's got some really nice graphics. This game reminds me of um oh, I don't know whether you're familiar with it um Ace Combat. Yeah, it feels a lot like an Ace Combat game, but uh, more arcadey. Yeah, what's the uh, biggest flaw you've encountered in that game? Um, well. The weapons all feel pretty much the same. So a lot of roguelike uh, games have a hundred weapons, but they all feel incredibly different. This one has its list of weapons, but they tend to be stuff like a more powerful missile or a bigger gun. Mm. There isn't as much variety as I'd like to see. So I'd give it a 3.5 out of 5. It's got a really nice art style. Um, the dogfighting's fun. I much prefer the dogfighting missions over the uh, the bombing missions. Okay. But it is also fun uh, flying map of the earth and popping up and then dropping a bomb on someone. <laughs> and when you get to the higher levels, there are just missiles everywhere. <laughs> is it multiplayer or is it just like single uh, player? I don't think it has a multiplayer feature. I mean, I'm looking at the trailers and the graphics look really, really nice. Yeah, and there's different skins, including one that's a reference to uh, Luftrousers, which is a um, a similar idea, but in 2D side-scrolling. Okay, so it looks like there's a two-player co-op, but it's only local co-op. So I don't know how well that would work over Steam. Uh, what was it called? Lightspeed? Uh, how do you spell uh, Luftrousers? Is it L-O-V-E? Luftrousers? No, Luft. L-U-F-T. R-A-U-S-E-R. S. L-U-F-S. Oh, that's Love Trial. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the skins has that sepia tone uh, and everything. But Love Trousers has a lot more um, aircraft combos. Mm-hmm. So there's no story There's no um, story mode for this, is there? It's just... No, not really a story at all. It's just randomly generated missions, and each mission gets harder. What's the hardest you've encountered in this game? Uh, I made it to, I think, day six, but I'm not sure how many days there are. So I... Um, is, this best, yeah. is this better than um, that air game we, we once played? Um, Sons of Icarus? Sons of Icarus. No, that's... Um, sorry, Guns of Icarus right. is very different. Guns of Icarus is people running around on an airship repairing guns and stuff. Um, this is just a single uh, single pilot sort of modern era with um, flying airships, though, which is uh, flying aircraft carriers, which is cool. But no, um, you know, no steampunk theme. Ah, oh, fair enough. So on to our shout outs. On the 11th of June 2020, the PlayStation 5 was revealed. The PlayStation 5, which looks like a weird Wi-Fi router <laughs> and is black and white like a Stormtrooper, <laughs> has uh, been officially revealed. And I want to know how much Rockstar paid to have their trailer for GTA 5 be the first product shown. <laughs> uh, I bet you it must be like an obscene amount of money. Yeah, because that's like a seven-year game that's two generations old now. And that was their flagship product. That's nuts. So uh, 
there's two models, one with a disk drive and one without. Will you be getting it, DJ? Wait for the next. I'll wait for the next few years when they get um, slimmer models. Yeah, maybe get a slim and uh, once it's developed a bit. Yeah, it's hard to choose for the first uh, year or so. You got to wait and see who gets the exclusives. Yeah, because the big difference for the consoles is bugger all. Since ninety percent of people are going to use it to play COD and Fortnite. Yep. <laughs> So, yeah, I reckon just wait a year and see what exclusives you get. Although for the PlayStation 5 reveal, there was some very nice games that have come out, though. Like uh, Horizon Zero Dawn 2. Um, What else was it? Oh, Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart. Uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales. Uh, Hang on a second. Here we go. Uh, um, Oddworld Soulstorm. So the Oddworld um, um, franchise is continuing on. Uh, Hitman 3, uh, the guy who, the creators of um, Octodad have come up with a new one called uh, Bug Snacks. Oh, that'll be good. Yeah, so it's a, so creatures are a mix of bugs and snacks, such as burgers and strawberries. <laughs> I hope that one comes out on PC, because I'm not buying a uh, a PlayStation just for one game, but we'll see. Yeah, um, Resident Evil, a new Resident Evil game was coming out, and Demon Souls Remastered. Yeah, I feel like uh, we'll be more likely to get the Xbox exclusives on PC just because of um, Microsoft having a Play Anywhere feature at the moment. With the PlayStation, uh, Sony will probably push um, PlayStation Now, which is their streaming product. Yeah, well, I'm hoping that with the PS5 and the new Xbox console coming out that we might get a chance to have cross-platform because that's been a big thing in the last few years. Yeah, a lot of games are supporting cross-platform multiplayer now. Yeah, which is about damn time. Yeah, and um, on the 15th of June, a ginger beer bottle from the 1930s sold for for $17,500. The bottle is a stoneware Donnelly and Butler bottle from Warwick, which is um, a few hours southwest of Brisbane. And the uh, what makes this bottle special is it has a green lip, and there's only been two or three perfect condition bottles like this. So basically, if I were to get a Coke bottle right now and uh, preserve it in the basement somewhere, 50 years later, that Coke bottle is going to be like five grand or something. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, you saw what happened to Beanie Babies. Oh, yeah. They, they're very, very valuable, as I heard. Yeah, very, in huge quotation marks. <laughs> um, probably the most valuable one at the moment is uh, Tremor, the shiny dinosaur, because Tremor is the zero-G indicator on the Star um, SpaceX Demo 2 mission. On the 16th of June, Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins turned 15. So Batman Begins was the first of the serious Batman movies of the 2000s, uh, replacing the campy 90s movies. Which, is this one, um, this ties into the Dark Knight trilogy, doesn't it? Yep. Because I never hear anyone talk about Batman Begins, but people love Dark Knight. Uh, people, so like Batman... the, people like the Dark Knight because it's Heath Ledger, the Joker. Like Okay. So Batman Begins took uh, $371 million worldwide. And on the 18th of June, 2020, Dame Vera Lynn passed away at 103. Dame Vera is most... Po- um, most well known for the song We'll Meet Again, which was a World War II song sung to the troops in India and Egypt during World War II. On the 17th, 75th anniversary of VE Day and during the height of the coronavirus pandemic, Dame Vera said, simple acts of bravery and sacrifice still define our nation. Obviously, speaking of the UK, uh, she's the oldest artist to get a top 40 album in the UK, beating her own record when um, her greatest hits album re-entered the charts at number 30. So, wow, that's pretty impressive, getting a, um, a world record for oldest artist to get a top album, like... At 103 years old. Uh, By the age of 11, she left school to pursue a full... Oh. Sorry. Uh, she left school to pursue a full-time career as a dancer and singer. Boris Johnson said, The singer's charm and magical voice enhance and uplifted our country in some of our darkest hours. Her voice will live on to lift the hearts of generations to come. And it is true that it will live on because I had that song stuck in my head all day the other day. <laughs> so have I. 
So uh, that song, I don't know. That song is such a it's a it's a melancholy song. Like uh, it's one of those songs where you, you can just drive out, to, uh, just take a drive and just listen to it over and over again. Okay, if anyone wants to psychoanalyze him, there. <laughs> I love that song. <laughs> what can I say? So on the 19th of June, Sir Ian Holm passed away at 88. Sir Ian was Bilbo in the Lord of the Rings movie, and he also played the android Ash in Alien, Father Vito Cornelius in The Fifth Element, Chef Skinner in Ratatouille. He was uh, it also- says he was Bilbo in The Hobbit. Did he show up there too? Because I thought Bilbo in The Hobbit was Martin think- Freeman. Uh, yeah, I think it was the old ones, you know, like My Dear Bilbo, check out. Uh, oh, so uh, they had a sort of flash forwards. Yeah. And he was also, interestingly enough, he was the coach in um, Coach Sam Musabini in the 1982 hit film Chariots of Fire. Great. He's done some great work. Yeah. So Sir Ian won a uh, British Academy Film Award and a supporting Ascot actor Oscar nomination. He was knighted in 1998 for his services to drama. He died of Parkinson's in London. Oh, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, Sir Ian Holm, he's got another um, title, The Lord of the Flings. Explain. (laughs) Because apparently he has so many relationships. Give me a sec. All right, here we go. So the article says, in between two two sets of Tolkien adaptations, Home developed an unexpected reputation as Lerate, uh, Lothario after the publication of his autobiography in 2004. Hailed by the Daily Mail as Lord of the Flings, he candidly chronicled his serial marriages and as- extramarital affairs. He is survived. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here's the funny thing. I think he's been married like five times. Well, that, that does explain that then. <laughs> I was like, oh. So on the uh, 16th, onto our remembrances, on the 16th of June, 1804, Johann Adam Hiller passed away. Johann was a German composer, conductor, and writer who created the Singspiel, an early form of German opera. It's characterized by spoken dialogue alternated with ensemble songs, ballads, and arias. Singspiels are generally comic or romantic and include elements of magic, fantastical creatures, and comically exaggerated characterizations of good and evil. Hillier was also a teacher who encouraged musical education for women, including his pupils Elizabeth Mara and Corona Schroeter. He was the Kapellmeister of the Able Sailors Theatrical Company. His most important operas are Lottie at Court, The Devil is Loose, and Poultice or Troy Rescued. He died at 76 in Leipzig. And on the 16th of June, 1858, John Snow passed away. You're going to say it, DJ? Get it out of your system? <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, uh, no, I was going to say it, but nah, I'm, I'm reserving it. All right. So he did know something. <laughs> he is one of the founders of modern epidemiology, in part because of his work in tracing the source of a cholera outbreak in 1854. So he realized that the cholera was coming from an infected water pump, took away the handle, and people stopped getting sick. And yeah. it turns out now that uh, the most people catch cholera from contact with the fecal matter of an infected person. So that says something about the uh, the water quality in London in 1854. His findings also inspired the adoption of anesthesia and changes to the water and waste symptoms systems of London. He also studied ether and chloroform as anesthetics. He personally administered chloroform to Queen Victoria when she gave birth to the last two of her nine children, and uh, which led to wider public acceptance of obstetric anesthesia. Because before anesthesia was discovered, most medicine was a grin and bear it. And that's why you would do surgeries as quickly as possible, leading to that guy who was infamous for uh, cutting off the patient's limb cutting off his assistant's fingers, which led to the assistant dying, uh, and scaring a spectator to death. <laughs> Man, medicine back then was a, was, was a ghastly business, wasn't it? Yeah. And, and, sad, and the funny thing is, he still wasn't knighted after he delivered those two kids. Yeah, I'm su- kind of surprised, because he did so much for medicine. Yep. But you know... Up until fairly recently, uh, most infant surgeries, or possibly all of them, were done without anesthesia because they're like, either the baby's not going to feel it or they're not going to remember it, so who cares? 
But then someone thought, what if we put the baby in a an MRI and actually measure its brain activity? And you can see in the baby's brain that it is obviously in incredible pain from having someone slicing it up. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, duh. <laughs> yep. Uh, I take that back. Medicine still is a ghastly business. <laughs> uh, it's getting better every year. Yeah. So he first realized chloroform was more potent than either and required more attention and precision. After a 15-year-old patient died during a surgical procedure that required the cutting of her toenail, which, I don't know, I imagine maybe an ingrown toenail, which these days is a fairly uh, simple and quick procedure. Imagine um, like, imagine dying because you had an ingrown toenail toenail that would be oh that that would be a very stu- bad way to go yeah imagine being michael michael in heaven just go and uh how did you die this time oh an ingrown toenail well to be fair it was because the doctor gave her too much anesthetic yep <laughs> so john snow died from st- stroke at the age of 45 in london and we've got quite a bit of detail in the show notes about him on the 16th of june 1869 charles sturt died Charles Napier Sturt, the British officer and explorer of Australia, passed away in uh, 1869. But before that, he was famous for tracing the flow of the Murray River, the um, searching in the west for the inland sea, which he was only a few million years too late to find. (laughs) Because um, it turns out that the floor at Parliament House is made of marble taken from uh, central, well, western Queensland which um, has been there since it was an ocean. So you can find little fossils of sea creatures in the uh, marble at Parliament House. So they chose to leave on the 4th of November, 1828, to explore the Macquarie River, which um, led them to row upriver on the Murray and Murrumbidgee River against the current in the heat of the Australian summer. Why? Against the current. Wow, great idea there, guys. Well, you kind of have to, but why would you do it in summer? <laughs> well. <laughs> yes, so Sturt wanted to reach the centre of Australia. Australian summer, why? Um, well, no, I wouldn't say, I would say that the Australian summer is not as hot as it is now. Well, it's gotten a few degrees warmer, according to the, uh, the records. Yeah. But still, you're going out into the middle of the driest continent on Earth, or the driest, like, permanently inhabited continent, I think Antarctica might be drier. <laughs> Which sounds odd, but it's because the definition of desert is the amount of rainfall it gets. Mm-hmm. And um, Antarctica doesn't get much rainfall, and that includes snowfall as well. So, so Sturt passed away at the age of 74 in Cheltenham, Gloucestershire. And on the 17th of June, 1977, Werner von Braun passed away. Oh, you mean 16th of June. Sorry, yes. Werner was the um, German and later American aerospace engineer and space architect. He helped design and develop the V-2 rocket at Penamunde during World War II. And even though he was in the SS, after the war, he was um, brought back to the US with 1,600 other scientists as part of Operation Paperclip, which at the end of World War II, the uh, Allies and the Russians decided, hey, wait, weren't we enemies? And both tried to pick up as many German scientists as they could to build cool weapons. So Werner was part of the projects to build uh, rockets to launch the first US satellites, and he was director of the Marshall Space Flight Center and chief architect of the Saturn V, which carried the Apollo spacecraft to the moon. He advocated a human mission to Mars and thought that there should be a space camp that would train children in science and space technologies and help their <laughs> mental development in the same way as sports camps aim at improving physical development. He received a National Medal of Science in 1975 and was inducted to the National Academy of Engineering in 1967. And he was also very conservative about his engineering and designed with um, safety factors and redundant structure, which went against the common thinking of the time where people were trying to build rockets as light and sleek as possible. But, you know, very glad because, well, enough lives have been lost from poor decisions in uh, spacecraft design. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, um, they could have had a... Sorry, which one is it? Is it Columbia that exploded on takeoff? Uh, I, th- I thought it was Challenger. Ah, uh, no, I'm going to have to fact check that. 
It was the one with the school teacher, wasn't it? Yeah, the Space yeah. Shuttle Challenger. Challenger, yeah. okay. So the whole reason Challenger exploded was because of an O-ring which froze during cold temperatures. And the NASA engineers said, we can't launch, the weather's not conducive. This isn't going to work. And the bigwig said, shut up, we're doing it anyway. <laughs> and seven people died. Oh, there was so, a snowstorm prior to it, wasn't there? Yeah. So there was a big change at NASA after that. But, yeah. you know, it could have been prevented if they had someone like Von Braun um, throwing his weight around to keep it safe. What do you reckon about the Columbia disaster, though? That one that- couldn't really have been prevented the same way Challenger could. That one happened because a chunk of foam falling off the, uh, I think it was a chunk of foam falling off the external fuel tank damaged the heat shielding and there was no way to bring them home safely. So they took a risk and unfortunately it didn't work out. But what they had to do um, after that was keep a shuttle on standby because that way there's not enough supplies on the ISS for the shuttle uh, team to move in and assuming they're in an orbit where they can reach the ISS. In in this case, they did. But the uh, so unfortunately, they um, didn't have any backup, didn't have supplies to stay. So they had to come home on a damaged space ship and hope that nothing went wrong. So these days, they're a lot better at having redundancy, or at least they were. I don't think there's um, a redundancy in place for the uh, SpaceX Demo 2 mission. I don't think there have been, but... Yeah, because, (laughs) well, you know, still early days. They're still figuring it out. Hopefully they learn from the past. Anyway, I'm digressing a bit. On to the uh, famous birthdays on the 16th of June, 1801. Julius Plocker, I think, is how you pronounce the U of the two dots. I think it's Yeah. Yeah. He was a German mathematician and physicist who made fundamental contributions to the field of analytical geometry and was a pioneer in cathode rays that led to the discovery of the electron. He also extended the study of Lame curves. Plucker was a professor of physics at the University of Bonn and um, published his first classical research on the action of the magnet in, of a magnet on the electric discharge in rarefied gases in uh, eighteen fifty eight a.k.a. a cathode ray tube using a magnetic field to distort the beam, which is exactly how TVs work. So the way they work is you have an electron gun that fires electrons at a um, fluorescent uh, panel. Um, You use magnets to aim the electrons at different parts of the screen and basically draw the image. I think that if I recall, the slow-mo guys did did a slow-mo video on how old TVs work with this with that type of um design probably yeah. yeah so you can have a there's a specific pattern where the um the line draws across like every second line and then it goes back and does the line in between which is called interlaced these days we use progressive which means draws every line one after the other but uh the reason interlaced works is because of image persistence on the tube and in your eyeballs but it is really cool um he anticipated robert wilhelm Bunsen and Gustav Kirchhoff's um, discovery that the lines of a spectrum are characteristic of the chemical substance which emitted them, which is the basis of spectroscopy. I can't get the word out. (laughs) (laughs) Which is a really interesting way of looking at light, figure out what's going on in the source of the light. So he was born in Oberfeld, the Duchy of Berg, Holy Roman Empire. On the 16th of June 1915, John Tukey was born. John was the mathematician best known for developing the fast Fourier transform uh, algorithm and box plot, and a whole bunch of other stuff. He is also credited with coining the term bit, which is the, um, while he was working at Bell Labs, the bit is basically a single point of data in a computer, and standard computers these days are based on 8-bit, which uses 8 bits to represent a single byte, and that byte then represents letters, numbers, basically everything you could need. So basically, he's the guy. So he's the guy that that founded the um, founded the thing. That's that. Um, so basically, he founded the unit, which is put, which is um, ah, how I put founded the yeah, unit. Yeah, he came up with the name for the unit. Came for the name for the unit, yep. which can which produces images and make things known as gifs. Was it gifs? God damn it! 
<laughs> so Chuki came up with the name Bit as a contraction of binary digit while he was working with John von Neumann on early computer designs. And in 2000, a librarian at the Yale Law School published a letter revealing that his 19, Chuki's 1958 paper, The Teaching of Concrete Mathematics, contained the earliest known usage of the term software. So it's possible he actually coined the word software as well. Uh. There are other people who have claimed it, but haven't actually um, haven't presented evidence. Although software is used in engineering um, in August 1953, a few years earlier. So one could say he was a bit of a histor- historical no. figure. No. <laughs> I am the bad pun master here. <laughs> On the 16th of June, 1909, Archie Carter was born. Archie is an American herpetologist, ecologist, and pioneer and conservationist who was a professor of zoology at the University of Florida. In 1987, he was awarded the Eminent Ecologist Award by the Ecological Society of America, and he made extraordinary contributions to sea turtle conservation, which, cool, turtles are awesome. He published numerous books and was the author of Handbook of Turtles. So... He also had a remarkable sense of humor, which led him to publish a parody of scientific taxonomic keys, which he called a subjective key to the fishes of Alachua County, Florida, known as the car key. I think he beat you on the bad puns. <laughs> he did. In 1952, Carr was awarded the Daniel Gerard Elliott Medal from the National Academy of Sciences. He was born in Mobile, Alabama. Oh, it's actually mobile, but yeah. Mobile. <laughs> mobile. <laughs> I'll pronounce it however I want, apparently. <laughs> on the, um, so the events of interest, on the 16th of June, 1884, the first purpose-built roller coaster, Lamarcus Adna Thompson's Switchback Railway, opened in New York's Coney Island Amusement Park. It traveled six miles per hour and cost a nickel to ride. And on the 16th of June, 1911, IBM was founded as the Computer Tabulating Recording Company in Endicott, New York. So it wasn't until Thomas J. Watson took over in 1924 that they became international business machines and expanded into electric typewriters and other office machines. So Watson was a salesman and concentrated on building a highly motivated, very well-paid sales force that could craft solutions for clients unfamiliar with the latest technology. And to be honest, we still need these people. They're painful, but you need them. Mm-hmm. On the 16th of June 2012, uh, the US Air Force's uh, Boeing X-37B space plane returned to Earth after a classified 469-day orbital mission. This is a weird space shuttle-shaped vehicle, which um, does all sorts of weird classified stuff. No one can figure out what it's actually doing. You can still track it, but um, you can track anything in space, really. Yeah. But no one knows what it's doing up there for so long and all of that. So the theories are satellite killers, orbital spy platforms. Yeah, nobody knows. On the 16th of June 2016, the Shanghai Disneyland Park, the first Disney park in mainland China, opened to the public. So Shanghai Disneyland features the biggest, tallest castle in any Disney park, first pirate-themed land, and its most technologically advanced park to date. It was opened by Bob Iger and Chinese Vice Premier Wang Yang. So the, um, the in the American parks, the Main Street like entrance is called Main Street USA, but in Shanghai it's called Mickey Avenue for obvious reasons. Hey, is um Winnie the Pooh owned by Disney? I think so. Yeah. I wonder if uh, <laughs> Disneyland Shanghai has any Winnie actors. No. <laughs> Ah, oh, if they did, that would be absolutely funny. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what's this? Put it in the gulags. Kick him out of the country. Oh, oh apparently uh, two years ago, uh, Winnie the Pooh could be banned from Disneyland Shanghai because of the meme. There we go. It's, uh, they're saying Winnie the Pooh is reportedly being banished from Disneyland Shanghai under the command of Chinese President Xi Jinping. Uh, in the theme park university, all mentions the character is set to be eliminated in a costly move that will see two attractions given brand new themes, all because the Chinese nation continually compares Xi to the di- fictional Disney bear. <laughs> 
They even compared Obama to Tigger. <laughs> yeah, that's a classic meme. <clears throat> the short, fat one and the tall, skinny one. <laughs> they were even walking with exactly the same walking. Oh, yeah, I see it now. <laughs> oh, man. So stores at Shanghai Disneyland featured Minnie in Kuipao dresses and a Wandering Moon tea house based on a building in eastern China. Well, that seems to be all we have for tonight. So, DJ, where can they find us? Um, they can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, Spotify, iTunes, um, and that's our canon.com. Where and we you have can support us for $5 a month at Pod Hero, yep. where you can find us and all of the other, uh, other That's Not Canon podcasts if you'd like to help them too. So, do you have anything to add tonight, DJ? Take care of each other, stay hydrated, and uh, look after yourselves. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.